Cornerstone, awesome to be with you this morning. Thanks for having me. I know you had no uh, choice in the matter. <laughs> it is great to be here. Uh, I've been here for less than 24 hours, but I have to say I love your city. Holy cow. Sitting at Wild Iris this morning. Um, that itself was pretty sweet by the fountain. And then I heard the bells toll. Who has a clock tower in their city still? You guys do? Just this having this collective sense of time together, that is a lost thing, whole other sermon. But uh, just having time on our cell phones is not enough. And you know what else I love? I love that you have given your pastor, Scott, whom I'm growing to love, uh, an invitation into what we're actually going to be talking about today. We're in First John. Uh, the assignment for me was about uh, 13 or 14 verses in the second chapter, and I wanted to distill it all down to, uh, to this verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. I just want to ask you, what's your emotional reaction to just this short little, I think, what, 11-word phrase or whatever it is? What what, what does this stir in you? Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. What does that do in you? I'll, t- I'll tell you for me, there, initially, I don't really like it. Um, what I want it to say is, um, whoever wants to come to me is invited into my love forever, to be my beloved, to, to just bask in my grace, to be absorbed in the forever forgiveness of God. But he's, he uses words here like claims. That's a little challenging, right? Must. And as you've been perhaps reading along in John's letter here, you'll notice like John's kind of at that age where he doesn't give a rip how it lands with you, right? He's, he's kind of advanced in age. He's lived through a lot. He's walked through a lot. He's walked with Jesus and he's looking at this uprising called the church and he's seen some things. He's like, well, we need to bring some crystal clarity here on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I would just say John is sitting in this place and posture as kind of a father of the church. And what he's inviting the followers, and what he often will call as, he'll call them little children. He will call them beloved. He will talk about the love of God lavishing upon you. But then he'll talk about things like, you know, if you do this, then that, right? And he'll say, you must do this. And if you claim to do that, he brings this, actually this beautiful calibration of grace and truth together. Why? Because he really cares about the family, the family of God. And as I've just been living with this verse, I think the invitation is to be a part of the family of God. What does that mean? Well, to be a part of the family of God, you really, to be a part of any family actually, you really need two things. You need relationship and you need responsibility. Relationship, responsibility. We're going to unpack that a little bit. By the way, full disclaimer, if you're trying to fall exactly along with my talk today based on the notes, sorry. Um, I've just changed and riffed and scrapped a bunch here to keep it light and let us breathe a little bit. Here's the relationship part, to live in Him. Here's the responsibility part, to live as Him. In leads to as. We live in so we can live as to be a part of the family of God. I just want to ask you a question. In your 
nuclear family or extended family, is there somebody that you just really want to or are trying to or even maybe don't even realize you are, but you're trying to pattern your life after that person? You're so compelled by them, captivated. For me, it's my dad. My dad turns 84 this year. He and my my mom have been married 56 years, something like that. In my marriage today, my wife will say something like, oh, you know, it's middle of the night, you know, 12 o'clock at night, and she'll say, oh, I'm thirsty. And I'll think, noted is what I'll think, you know? And I'll think, I'm asleep. And then I'll think, you know what my dad would do? He would get up and get his, his wife, my mom, a glass of water. And, and it's still like, today, my dad, so he's a uh, retired insurance broker, but today he has a job. You know what he is? He is a ski instructor at the Winter Park Resort in Colorado. 84 years old. It's one thing to, to ski at 84. It's another thing to be responsible for others skiing, let alone learning how to ski. And it's pretty crazy. I mean, when we're around the house, he's shuffling his feet. I think there, there could be a fall at any point. I'm doing this. But he gets in ski boots, man. It's like a whole nother animal. And so literally, I, I have this vision for my life. I have what I call a preferred future. And one of them is I want to ski with my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren just like my dad. And it's always been this way. I mean, I went through my stages. I went through adolescence. And, you know, there were times where my dad was lame. And actually, I carry just sadness in my heart for those moments because truly, I've just been watching and observing my dad forever back to like preschool. Preschool, there was, and they called it this, they literally called it dad day at preschool. And the night before I went to my dad, I said, okay, here's what we're going to do, dad. We're going to dress exactly alike. And he's like, all right. And so we went through his closet and we went through, you know, my dresser drawers and all of that. And literally to the T, I mean, I wanted to wear, he had leather shoes. I wanted leather shoes. Uh, we decided we we're going to wear jeans. I mean, this is huge. My dad is taking time off work to come be with me at preschool for dad day and everything has to be right. I wanted a brown belt because he had a brown belt, a blue, yellow, blue, yellow striped shirt. I, he parted his hair on the right. I wanted to try my best. My hair was even thin back then, so I couldn't really part very well. He had a watch. I didn't, but I, I used one of his broken ones, and I put it on my wrist. And the only difference in, in, um, in what we had going on was there's this, this picture uh, of us together, and his right hand is holding me. I'm just like, I'm just like firmly secured by his right hand, and my right hand is going for a pick right up the nostril. <laughs> and I dug this picture out, and I, I just want to show you. It's grainy, but here it is. <laughs> by the end of our time today, it's my hope and heart that every single one of us will feel fully invited into the family of God and held by the Father, firm and secure. And so, Lord Jesus, we invite your Holy Spirit to tend to those broken, sensitive, hardened, 
places. We say just come because we long for your deep heart. We know that you want to hold us as much as truly in the depths of who we are, we want to be held. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to just, we're going to take these 11 words and we're going to just, we're just going to chunk them into three parts. That's all we're going to do. What I would, here's how I would describe my, my sermon today. Really simple and not easy. Really simple. It'll make sense to you. Not easy because of maybe the ways that we've been wired, the ways we've been conditioned and the ways that we relate to God that hopefully maybe the, the Holy Spirit would want to unlock today. Where I want to start here is just those word claims. There's challenge in that. And, and I want to speak to any of us, maybe online or here in this room. And, and you're here because you're just maybe on a journey, you're exploring, you're checking out, you're, you're looking at all the different options, or maybe you're here to, um, to bless somebody that's asked you to come, but it's really not your thing. Or maybe you're, you're skeptical and you're like, and, and perhaps what we hear all the time, skepticism, cynicism, jadedness can oftentimes come from people who, like in the words of Gandhi, would say, you know, I might be compelled by Jesus if it weren't for Jesus' followers. I might be a Christian if it weren't for Christians. In other words, there's something about Jesus that I might be willing to entertain. But man, his followers just keep throwing obstacles along the way. And if that runs through your head, I just want to tell you, this is one thing I love about the challenge in this passage. If you have a beef with Christianity, so does John. There's a self-correcting call in the Scriptures that our lives should be integrated. That we should believe something and that overflows into action. That we should make claims. And we just know we live in a world that every, you know, the whole world has its own megaphone and platform. So there are a lot of claims being made. But I know there are a lot of people asking, where are those claims being lived out in a way that works? In a way that seems to align with who they say God is. And so this should be of, of comfort to you. To know like, oh, there's this, I'm glad to know somebody's challenging Christians. And it just happens to be this, this Bible, the, 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 what we consider to be the Word of God brings us that challenge. And will we take it um, in humility for those of us that are following Jesus? Or does it feel a little um, worksy? You know, a little legalistic? Like, well, wait a minute, what about the grace? What, what about like, how does that work? You know, there's this, is it grace, is it works, is it faith, is it works, all those things. And typically, the answer is yes, but I keep coming back to the, the relational heart of God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that in the, the center of the one triune God, there is relationship. I love how one of the, uh, an author, Daryl Johnson, put it, that at the center of all existence, from the one who spoke all things into existence, at the center of it all is relationship. At His core, God is relationship. He wants to overflow all that is true, the mutuality, the affection, the interdependency, and all the beauty within the Godhead. He wants to overflow into relationship, into and for you and me and us together as family. And how does family work? 
Well, I have just really what I think is the coolest thing ever. We're going to go from high-tech to low-tech. <laughs> you don't know me, but I'm just like a whiteboard freak, and uh, this was our simplest way to get at it. What, what is family when we break it down? And I said it was two words. What were the two words? Okay, I heard relationship and responsibility. So as you think about family, does that kind of make sense with what you think about? Or are there other things that we should add? Actually, never mind. We've got to keep this sermon short. Okay, you see that? Responsibility. Here is the in part to live in Jesus. And here is the as part. And when we marry these two things together, well then, we're family. And this just works in our family, right? If you have relationship, but you are not responsible for everything, you are really not family. What are you? You're a guest. And guests are great, unless they stay too long. Would you agree? Right? So I am a guest in the home of Joey and Robin Kaufman and their two children. And it's just like, it's, it's awesome, man. Joey cooked me, like baked me cookies last night with like a frosty mug of milk. And uh, everything was just so thought through. And I didn't have to lift a finger. And it was amazing. And, uh, and if I stayed longer, which I want to, I would be absolutely spoiled. And if we don't ask anything of our children then we're literally, if we're not calling them to responsibility, then we're going to lead them with the spirit of entitlement the rest of their lives, and we do not serve them well. Would you agree? Some of us are going, oh, this is a parenting talk. Oh, this is a parenting talk. Right? Okay, now, what if you are charged with responsibility, but there's really no relationship? What are you? It's not family. It's not guest. Yeah, I heard employee. Let's just call it exactly right. Let's just call it, you're a worker, right? And if you don't have relationship, if, if you don't have the in him, but you have the as him, and all you do is work, if, you, if you're not known, but you're needed all the time, then what are you experiencing? You're experiencing stress. You are constantly stressed out. Do more. Hit the marks. Go for it. And you'll never hit the marks. So actually beneath this, what you're experiencing is shame. Now, what if you don't have relationship and you have no responsibility in the family? You're not a guest because that means you're known somehow. You're not a worker. What are you? you? That's right. You are a stranger. And what do we tell our children about strangers? Stranger danger, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, and, and actually in the context of the family of God, it just simply means like when I, when I have exposure to the family of God and when, they, when they're going to take communion later and they're talking about the blood of Jesus, I'm like, that's strange to me. And then when they stand up and they sing to somebody I can't see, that seems really foreign to me. There is a strangeness and frankly, there should be. There should be a peculiarity about who we are in the people of God an accessibility, and a peculiarity as well. And in the sense of family systems, while we're at it, 
if this is family, and here's the spoiled ones, and here's the stressed ones, um, who fits in this category? It's the ones who don't feel like they fit. To stay with the theme, it's strays. In a family system, children in the foster care system would feel like they're here. They have no one to love them and know them and no one that's calling them up to their very, very highest. Those that feel abandoned. And some of us here today might find ourselves in a nuclear family context here. I want to just ask you though, as it relates to the family of God, as it relates to Cornerstone, what box would you put yourself in? Do you have relationship here? And do you have responsibility? Do you feel like you're here? Or do you know some people and you're kind of known, but no one's asking you anything? And if you didn't show up next week, no one would notice because you, you hadn't put your hand to the plow. Or you just work, 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 work. You don't even get in and have time with, with people and all of that. And you're f- beginning to just feel like you're wanted to fill a slot. Where do you feel like you are? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, or, but I want you to take a reflection where the Lord wants us. And by the way, it could expand beyond the family of God isn't just cornerstone. Agreed? Agreed? Yeah? I mean, it's a great church and all. It's a much larger thing. But God wants us here. And John is telling us, I want you to live in Him so that we can live as Him. So the end in mind, the way that the proof in the pudding is this, how will this overflow literally into my life and into your life? And so let's jump actually to the end in mind. We're going to come back to live in Him. But if we are doing this, this is going to be what, what happens. And this word live, when you look it up, is walk in the Greek. It means you're going to walk. So it's literally, it, maybe you've heard the expression of those who are walking with Jesus, literally, they would follow behind Him and they would uh, get all the dust that would be kicked up from the sandals of Jesus. So they would just have dust up their nostrils all the time to walk in the dust of the rabbi. Maybe some of our best examples of to walk as someone else did is if you are being trained as a server at a restaurant and you just, you just follow that, that seasoned pro that just seems to know the menu and know everything and you just stand there and feel really lame. Or if you've ever been to a university hospital and there's the doctor, and there's all the interns or those in residence, and they just all go together, and they just walk down the hospital corridors. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Or parenting. To walk as, as we watch and see our, our parents walk. So, we live in Kansas City, and my wife, Elise, and I, uh, we have three daughters we struggled with infertility for a while, and then, uh, bam, we went from zero babies to three in 14 months. Here they are now. Here they are. Um, this is my wife, Elise. Our second-born, Brianna. Our last-born, um, Hadley. And then Mia, whom we adopted from China. And uh, the way the story goes is we didn't, getting pregnant was improbable. 
and God moved in our heart for adoption. It's just this beautiful thing. The plan B became the like sole plan A, and then we got pregnant with Brianna, and we had her six months before we went to China. I went, my wife stayed with our six-month-old, went to China to get Mia. Little did we know that we were pregnant when I got on that plane for China with the one in the middle, Hadley. It's fun now. So, um, because, let me show you what it looked like then. I was on a trip. They sent me this picture. And then my wife said, it's time for a surgery, young man. Suddenly, three just felt right and full. <laughs> so um, I had said surgery, and, uh, and around the house, I began to walk a little bit like John Wayne, <laughs> like this. And I had to really stay clear of our three babies in diapers, not realizing that they were watching my every move until I was filming Brianna and captured this. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? You're walking like daddy is what you're doing. <laughs> Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. What does that look like to walk as Jesus? How, how would we measure that if you're in business? What, are, what were the KPIs, the key performance indicators, or your metrics? Like, how do, you, how do you measure that? Is it by how often we read the Bible, how often we go to church? Is it by, it could be, by the fruits of the Spirit? How am I growing in love, joy, peace, patience? Like, how do we know if we're walking as Jesus? And I think you could measure this so many different ways. There's no right way. But as I was kind of preparing this, uh, this time to be with you, I thought, well, part of how it should at least look is we should get in the kinds of trouble that Jesus got into. Right? So there should be a reaction around our lives similar to the reaction that Jesus experienced. Some were drawn to him and some took offense by him. And when that word offense in the scriptures is used, the, the Greek word is skandalizo, from which we get the word, take a guess, scandal. So just as a fun exercise, not the only way that we could get to this, I thought, well, let's just take the Jesus scandal test, just five questions, okay? And we're, we're just going to do, so let's just go, oh, let's just go one to five, scale of one to five, one super low five super high. Number one, do your closest friends come from all over the political spectrum? Say like our modern day version of a zealot who wants to take down Rome and a tax collector who is in Rome's hip pocket. It's no different today. So think through your, you know, your contact list and your phone, the people you hang out with, do you have friends that come from all over the political spectrum? Number two, how often does your reputation suffer because of who you hang out with? 
Do you ever get accused of being a drunkard, a sinner, modern-day version of a tax collector, a glutton? Some of us might be like, yeah, okay, glutton, yeah. But by our association, we're hanging out with people on the fringes, and people are making judgment calls about us and our character. That happened to Jesus all the time. Number three, how are we doing, by the way? Fun test, fun little test I prepared for us this morning. Number three, how often have you been attacked physically or digitally because you advocated for people in the opposite camp on some issue? Jesus was literally run to the edge of a cliff, and then somehow, I don't know how he did it, he mysteriously um, meandered through the people without being touched. Wow talking in a Jewish context about Gentiles and how God had met Gentiles. It was crazy. And the the people went from like, oh my gosh, gosh, the most wonderful things are coming to our ears, flowing out of this man's lips. We think he's the one to grabbing stones and chasing him to a cliff because he was trying to expand their, their little narrow view of who's in and who's out. Number four, how many times have religious people thought you were a heretic because your forgiveness went too far? Jesus was at a meal, and it was a very dignified meal. It was really a trap set by a very religious person for Jesus, and this seemingly this prostitute just barges in and starts, you know, doing, you know, what you typically do. He just, she, she started washing his feet with her hair, <laughs> taking all of her life savings and pouring it out in oil and anointing him. Um, and, and the Pharisee is completely scandalized. And he's thinking, like, if, if this man really were at least a prophet, he'd know who this town woman is. And what does Jesus say? He looks to this man. He says, Simon... Do you see this woman? Hmm. Number five, have you ever loved someone so shady that it made others really feel uncomfortable? And that's actually the story that I just told. You know, Jesus, we just, when we take the composite of Jesus, it's just, it's like, how do we do this? He was radical grace and penetrating truth. We tend to do one or the other. He was the one who had all the answers in the cosmos, and yet he asked 307 questions. Jesus was the one who had this fierce independence. You couldn't sway him. And this utter dependence upon his closest friends and the Father. Jesus was um, consistent in character all the time and totally unpredictable in terms of what he would do. How do we live like that? Well, the answer is 
a little bit how the disciples did it. We live in him. And the disciples, um, they, they caused a ruckus all the time. I did a series once called How to Start a Riot, just going through the book of Acts. Everywhere they went, they just started a riot, it seemed. They had to flee and go on because there was a visceral reaction. Some believed, some were astonished, and some were offended and grabbed stones. And that seemed to be the reaction. Is my life creating that kind of provocation? And I got to tell you, I'm a rule follower and I'm a people pleaser. And this message I'm offering to you is really hard and challenging for me. But look what the disciples, Peter and John, they were like put in prison. They gave a sermon. The whole town was in uproar. And they realized these were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been, been with Jesus. With Jesus. In Him. In goes before as and I want to just offer you a, a picture of what this looks like in the journey that I've been on because I have been living more for Jesus than in Him, about Jesus than with Him, more responsibility than relationship. So we told you about our daughter Mia. We adopted her when she was 10 and a half months old. This is one of my favorite pictures of her. Um, took her a really long time to smile. Took her a really long time to receive our affection. And far delayed with, in comparison to our other two bio babies to say things like, I love you too. So I told you that we, we're, I'm a whiteboard guy, so we have, we have whiteboards everywhere in our house, including in our primary bedroom. And so um, Mia's way of communicating her love to me was by writing on my whiteboards. And I want to show you two pictures. She drew a picture of herself and of me and she says, I love you, Daddy. And then she writes for me, you know, one. Now here's my response. I love you too. You are beloved, darling, etc. <laughs> Isn't that great? And then if you're a therapist, you know oftentimes it's helpful to ask your client to draw a picture of your relationship to somebody and your relationship within a family. So the next one right below this, she drew the family picture. Here it is, family picture by Mia. Hadley the Critter. <laughs> Bookworm Brianna. Come on. Handsome dad. Beautiful mom. But who's in the middle? Amazing Mia. What does it mean to be in him? If you could just picture in the one triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there you are. There you are. At the epicenter of his heart, 
at the center of all existence and relationship. You are the one that he's dreamt up since before the foundations of the world began. You are the one that he knows every hair on your head. You are the one every day of your life has been written in his book of life. And he wants to hold you firm, secure. And I think for so many of us, the question is, Will we let him? He longs. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care how strong you feel. I don't care how much you've done. If we want to live as Jesus, do you know you have a Father in heaven who delights for Dad Day every day? 